Badger Radio. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's Badger Radio. They know who you are sleeping with. They know the jokes you take. They know about your holidays for access to your dates. The lovers that have come and gone and egos that you break. They know more about you than your very best mate. Stop. Just stop. They know what you were throwing out and searching through your bins. They know where you are going and the places that you've been. Wanna find my way, I take my data for a roam No connection, that's why your eyes on your iPhone Stop Just stop so long. Here it is, Gemma Rogers and Alfie Jackson, new collaboration with Stop. Diners, dining, sipping wine and dipping toes in seas of blue Never photo treading gently Pebble Beach and a room with a view. Picture perfect Polaroids Driver from those crying eyes No negatives, no duplicates, cause there's only Whispers that I whisper in your ear The only thing is sacred, only thing that they don't hear Just Don't let them get inside your head, they prey upon your fears Come a little closer and I'll tell you my idea The undercover whispers that I whisper in your ear The only thing is sacred, only thing that they don't hear Don't let them get inside your head, they prey upon your fears Come a little closer and I'll tell you my idea Faithful listeners and fresh blood alike, and welcome to Totem. It's Totem's third birthday. I cannot believe uh, this show has been going for three years already, but it is true. Happy birthday, Totem! Happy birthday, Totem! Really has been an amazing journey, and as you may notice, 
the show is slowly evolving as uh, we at the Artful Badger evolve ourselves and slowly start to grow up. Um, as many of you already know, this is the show that brings you not only the best new left field music from across the globe, but also an insight into what we think are the most pertinent questions and practices that, in our opinion, can really, really make all the difference to, to our future. So we're aiming to take all of this research and these practices and unpack it for you in layman's terms so that we can not only all understand, but, but hopefully also get to experiment with it until we find what works for us and what sort of fits with, with our needs. And I must just take my hat off to our magical badger totem for helping us to sort of get to the bottom of these mysteries of the human soul. So today's show focuses on another of my oldest interests, similar to the last episode about the science of sound. Um, but this is a bit more difficult, but really, really important psychological issue to face, um, the shadow as popularized by psychoanalyst Carl Jung, who by now has sort of entered into the wider public as a, as a cult legend um, for his extraordinary ideas about the communal unconscious and other things. And I think The Shadow is among his most famous ideas and is, is becoming extremely popular now, which is of course why I feel the need to, to try and get it out to, to a wider public. Today we're gonna to find out exactly what part this, this dark side um, plays in our lives and if it's a useful friend or, or just the, the classic terrifying foe and enemy we're going to be asking if accepting our dark side is a mere justification for more self-indulgence which you know in the western world these days we've got plenty of or if perhaps accepting this dark side can be can be a liberation for you and, and also for your friends and for your family as usual, we're going to be finding all of this out from the specialists. Uh, we're going to be speaking to psychotherapist Ella Kate Reeves about what the shadow really is, how it emerges in our earliest years and how we're forced to push it down into our unconscious minds. I'll be asking her about Joseph Campbell's hero's journey uh, that many of you may have heard of and how his map can help us confront and overcome and eventually make peace with these sort of mysterious enemies that we, we seem to hold deep within us. And perhaps most relevantly, I'll be finding out about her heroine's journey workshops um, in which women's work groups use an adaptation of Campbell's model to sort of follow a similar path of discovery and integration but reworked by Maureen Murdoch to map a, a, a woman's slightly different journey of acceptance. Um, and then I'm going to be speaking to current affairs journalist David Fuller of Rebel Wisdom. I'll be asking how the shadow plays out in, in a post-feminist yet still very patriarchal world and what that means for men and women going forward at this time of, of, of so much change. I'll be finding out more about their hugely successful YouTube channel that interviews thinkers and uh, academics and intellectuals about the urgency of this sort of awakening uh, in our current time. I'm a huge fan of his channel, so I can highly recommend listening or watching one of their videos or podcasts 
on a commute. You know, really valid, extraordinary information, which is just really not found much in the um, the mainstream press these days. So it's great to see the success of Rebel Wisdom online. I also want to ask about their workshop program that offers the inner work needed to pull all this intellectual awakening into concrete solutions. So we can actually get support activating on a day-to-day basis um, these ideas without having to go online, uh, including men's work groups, but also women's work groups and um, you know men's and women's work groups. I think it's just too often that we forget how young our sort of permanent state of onlineness is and how important it is to just take time out and spend time doing uh, together rather than just thinking and absorbing all this information, as important as that is. Uh, We'll also be discussing if Jung thought there was such a thing as a communal shadow, um, and if there is, how that plays out in a wider society. I'm really, really interested in finding out about that, being a big fan of um, Jung's communal unconscious idea. So, that's it really. Today we're just going to be asking these really key, simple questions. What is the shadow? And what can we do to sort of accept it and integrate it into ourselves rather than bury it deep inside? So all the new music that's been coming out in time for this show, as you know, um, for me, the music is as important as all of these fascinating, life-changing topics and techniques. But rather by some sort of some weird coincidence, a lot of the tracks for today are quite shadowy in one way or another. Gemma Rogers, who you just heard, um, with her debut track, Stop, in a new collaboration with Archie Jackson. They've called themselves Two. Slightly worried about how that's going to play out on the Google search, but they've called themselves Two, T-W-O. And this track, Stop, it is just no surprise at all that it's been going mental across all the alternative platforms being played on, you know, BBC Six and all of the, all, all of the other out there new music platforms because it is just shockingly true Um, and it paints this picture of the shadow of the internet and social media and smartphones and mocks us as so much of Gemma's work does but she's mocking herself as well and, and we can really identify with it can't we so listeners we've got to keep a keen eye on this smartphone phenomenon right you agree highly addictive dopamine feedback loops and all of that you know look it up dopamine feedback if you if you haven't noticed how easy it is to get addicted to social media Gemma's poetry is funny uh, as always but incisively true lines like what they're going to feed on if there's nothing on my feed swiping on the crack screen until your fingers bleed <laughs> just killer no connection eye to eye your eyes on your iPhone uh, top writing as always from Gemma do check her out uh, check out her poetry as well she's a phenomenal poet as well as a great musician so their new single is out on 14th of December uh, not long now and you can go and celebrate that launch at the Empire Bar on Mare Street in Hackney if you're around check the show notes brilliant community surrounding these musicians so yeah definitely worth getting down and checking them out live it will be a proper giggle and talking about shadowy music a massive shout uh, goes out to SK Shlomo Uh, I've always been a fan uh, originally from Persia from the Middle East Uh, Shlomo 
was the first beatboxer to have his own orchestra and also to have a South Bank Centre residency. Massive respect for this man. But he recently reached out to the mental health awareness campaign after he was gunned down by Twitter trolls over his experience of depression and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, Yeah, just typical, God, I hate this trolling business. His brave response has been to crowdfund his debut album uh, and make it all about mental health. I love love this response, exactly how to deal with these idiots. Um, And he is just exploding onto the scene with this album both as a vocalist and as a, an electronic artist, moving on from, from beatboxing without, by any means, abandoning his roots. Uh, and whilst representing the huge hashtag movement, um, supporting uh, these kind of mental health issues, uh, well done all of you who have been raising awareness with that on your own social media. Um, just it's, it's having a big effect, just as, as Me Too has done, and I think it's bringing a lot of awareness to how many people, just normal people like Shlomo, are, are, are suffering from the consequences of these conditions on a daily basis. So massive respect there. The single um, came out in August uh, that you're about to hear. But this new album, totally crowdfunded, all with your assistance, well done if you've been supporting him, is called Surrender. It's coming out in March of next year, 2019. And highly recommend, if you're interested in this issue, that you follow Shlomo's live stream, uh, hashtag we are listening, where he talks to, to other uh, famous people, Bill Bailey, Jason Mraz, for example, about mental health. Um, you can also find that on his website, uh, skshlomo.com. And yeah, there's another little taster coming out or no just come out actually friday the 23rd of november so it's just out on nebula productions records uh the first time so there's another little uh taster uh of the album there which is just this wonderful kind of weird dark electro pop influenced by people like caribou and jamie double x um yeah probably a bit too poppy for my for my taste but you know really uh, right there on the cusp and clearly proving himself as a brilliant brilliant artist uh, hashtag mental health matters guys get the word out um, we really really need all of our friends uh, and colleagues who are dealing with this to feel to feel this poor hashtag mental health matters so here it is you just heard the incredible sound of Gemma Rogers and Alfred Jackson with stop uh, angels coming out in a couple of weeks but returning to the shadow, here it is, SK Shlomo's new single, Invisible. They take it on Treasure infected
but also obviously as an artist dealing with those psychological issues fascinating fascinating thank you so much Shlomo for supporting the podcast so let's get into this what exactly is the shadow so Carl Jung um, identified Freud's original idea of what the shadow was as all the negative elements of our persona so like anger jealousy guilt and shame just for example and we judge these negative elements uh, as being negative and therefore we don't accept them in ourselves and consequently we repress them um, out of our conscious persona and deep deep down into our unconscious mind where eventually we're no longer even aware that they're part of us at all we just forget and you noticed that people in civilized society feel that they need to play a role to fit in. And, and he used the metaphor of the persona being a bit like a mask behind which we, we hide all of our undesirable traits. Uh, I can certainly identify with this, this feeling, you know, particularly as a teenager, young person, you know, trying to fit in and, and sort of become like everybody else, and sort of cover up things that might make us different. But for some reason, um, you'll notice that these traits seem to rebel against being hidden. Um, and the deeper we bury them, uh, the greater the gap between the full extent of ourselves and this sort of fake persona mask. And the more we bury them, the more the shadow tries to break out and, and make itself known. So in real life, uh, a lot of this repression starts when we're really quite young children uh, in a highly programmable state. And undesirable behavior, negative elements of the persona are discouraged by authority figures, whether they be our teachers in preschool or, or our, our parents, mostly our parents. 
And to avoid punishments, we quite understandably suppress these feelings and don't let them out anymore. And you'll notice that in the long term, the result of this suppression is that we all sort of judge really, really harshly in others um, these elements, but actually they have counterparts in our own suppressed shadow. So this judgment is in fact a defense mechanism and, and a projection out onto scapegoats uh, of things that we disapprove of in ourselves. And yet those things which trigger our judgments are the very same that we've suppressed in ourselves. Uh, the more we react and we're triggered, the clearer the evidence that these aspects of our own shadow are being projected out. So here's a random example. Uh, not everyone will identify with this, but it's just to give you an idea of how the mechanism might work in this sort of binary way. So you're at work and you get this inexplicable feeling of irritation when a colleague you barely know arrives a bit late for work looking shabby. You're triggered and your conscious mind judges them and you start to sort of internally seethe. Oh, they're unprofessional, they're tardy, they don't care for their presentation. And what is actually going on at that moment of judgment is that you're unconsciously worried and due to some influence in your past you too may be worried that you're not always smart enough and that sometimes you do risk being late. Um, you may even be jealous that they can get away with being themselves without being punished whereas you feel the need to wear this, this mask uh, to be professional. Like I said, you might, you might not identify with this example, but it does give you an idea. It could be anything that irritates you overtly. And this seems to happen particularly with people who we love and spend a lot of time with because we sort of permit, um, we permit that um, projection out onto people that sort of know us, we know, we know a little better. So, Jung suggests that as part of this process that he calls individuation, we can use the evidence of these projections. The trigger of the scruffy tardy colleague in our example, and we can use them, them as, as signposts, allowing us to identify elements of the shadow that we need to integrate. Bringing it into awareness, Jung says, is, is the most important part, the hardest bit in a way. And that eventually leads to acceptance of this part of us in ourselves and a closing of the gap between the mask and the full self. And this disactivates the triggering and the projection onto others and helps us find some kind of peace with these natural negative human elements in ourselves. And hopefully, eventually, that will give us more compassion for others who are dealing with those those negative elements in themselves but we've we've got on fine till now you might say why why bring all this negativity up again you know why not just sort of forget about it and, and carry on judging because it's just not beneficial um, for any of us no for us who refuse to accept our faults and go through life generation after generation offloading onto scapegoats it's just not beneficial. You know, in our personal lives, our close relationships can 
really, really suffer as a consequence. Just look at the divorce rates going skyrocketing. And then what happens? You know, we've severed these closer relationships. We move on to wider groups to scapegoat, you know, perhaps an even an entire strata of society, collective projection. <laughs> It'll be interesting to find out if that is in fact a real thing, you know, this collective projection. You know, perhaps Ella can can help us understand that a bit a bit better in a in a short while. Just look at social media trolls, you know, this this kind of blanket judgment. And the result is really, really very dangerous because we justify radical blame and that can lead to persecution. Um, and in large groups in a collective way that can sort of be be, be auto justified. So what should be an internal battle, you know, with us kind of coming to terms, struggling with our own negative elements, suddenly becomes this battle against some preconceived strata of society. Um, you know, are these preconceived scapegoats. But on the contrary, the benefits of the integration process as an alternative are are massive. And it'll be really good to to find out from the specialists, you know, some examples that they, they've seen of this in their work. You know, starting just, just to notice these projections and go, oh, oh yeah, look, I just formed a totally irrational judgment. Just noticing that, we can start to diffuse those negative emotions. We can we can limit the, the anger outbursts. And that perhaps can help with silly things like, um, you know, arguing at home and more serious things like potentially even domestic violence. And then the result of those arguments and conflicts, they, they, we can stop the guilt that comes after such such outbursts and such arguments. And then on the wider scale, we can start to heal rifts within our local communities by identifying these projections. And even wider, out into rifts in, in country states. And potentially even begin to encourage more compassion, even on a global scale. So. You know, the, the benefits are clearly obvious as a, a, an alternative to this kind of, sort of blanket scapegoat judgment that we see so, so much in the world today. But perhaps most importantly, we can stop squashing down a really massive portion of our children's emotions, um, potentially breaking this ancient cycle of parent-to-child repression. And, and, you know, that could have massive, massive consequences for the way those children act when they become adults in, in the wider world and the, the decisions they make. But more on that later on because I think really the consequences of such a change would be would be really, really massive. So if all of this sounds a little complex, don't worry. Um, it is tough to, to face these things. But don't worry because we're going to ask the professionals to explain it um, properly and in nice, clear, non-academic terms, um, so we can really get the best out of this idea. And I think you'll find that both both Ella and David um, make it very, very easy to understand and give us some some real tools for just getting getting on with this process. So before we get in, into this, let's hear some more music and listen to the badge news and then we'll get straight into the specialists knowledge as this I hope promises to be a really really useful show so 
Let's get straight into the music. Um, epic Afrobeats coming up now. Um, brilliant remix EP out on still my absolute fave world music dudes, Worm Food. It's been out since uh, the middle of October, about the 12th of October. And this UK Afrofusion group on Nipa are really utterly uh, unique and luckily their their new album is getting rave reviews across the board. Um, this is their green vinyl EP for vinyl enthusiasts. Definitely worth getting it. The Open Eyes, Open My Eyes EP. There's all kinds of brilliant remix artists on there, so worth checking out the whole uh, sequence of tracks. Crimwald uh, and Farre, Mr. Boom, and uh, the musical director of Nubian Twist, Tom XL, who, as you know, if you've been following the show, I am Nubian Twist crazy. So some great stuff on here. Uh, but this particular remix uh, of I Know is from Maro, M-A-R-O-T. This is Onipa I Know with the Maro remix.
on the throne Things and realities, memories of old Ocean, their vanities, craving for gold Color of man is the color of soul Many will see but the few will know Action, reaction, I'm breaking the code The passion to breathe and the passion to sow of Onipa's track, I know. Brilliant stuff. But now it is time for the Badger News. God, we are so lucky at the Artful Badger to have so many extraordinary collaborators with our with our collective. One of the first photographers to ever document our masks at the Artful Badger has released a new book about the legendary uh, festival concept, uh, community concept, Burning Man. And it's called From Dust until dawn. So Philip Volkers, uh, he cut his teeth in fashion for the likes of Esquire and Hobbs Bazaar and, and Nike, but is actually deeply rooted in his reportage work and he's reveled in shooting the largest religious gathering in the world, the Kumbh Mela in India, and horse trekking in the Namibian desert. You know, this is really more his, his sort of, his, his local terrain in terms of being being a reportage photographer and his extensive knowledge of shooting challenging situations in these sort of wide open spaces made Burning Man a perfect subject for his passion and and after shooting the the extraordinary community project in the Nevada desert since 2006 um, his first print run of this beautiful coffee table edition from Tustill Dawn uh, sold out in just a few months so it is not a surprise at all um, considering the the insane quality of this book, and it's now being pressed in a second edition on popular demand. So top banana, Philip, keep it up. We are huge fans. Do check out his book, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, PhilipVolkers.com. Find out all about it. And um, if you are fans of the burn, this is an amazing way to take a look at the last sort of 12 years of of development out there in the desert. Next up, Badger favourite Tallulah Rendell uh, is launching her new album, The Liminal, in April 2019, and I am itching to hear it. Once again, I have to wait patiently, not something I'm very good at. Tallulah collaborated with us last summer on our Resonant Bodies workshop, where we explored ourselves as resonant beings uh, and resonant bodies and the relationship between resonant frequencies and the voice uh, and movement. And this new album honours her new adventures into sound healing and all of the the instruments associated with that, the singing bowls, and the transformative power of the voice. So I can I can highly recommend any of her workshops. Um, you know, mostly London, West Country, but all over Britain. Um, whether they be focusing more on the voice or on meditation, using healing instruments. So do check out her full and really quite diverse program. Her work is is really extraordinary, drawing on her, her work as an artist and a vocalist, but also on, on Qigong and energetic work. Stunning work. 
then it'll be really extraordinary to see how she marries energetic and transformative work with 20 years of development as a, as a musician and a vocalist. So get all of that info on tallulahrendell.com and keep an eye out for the liminal, which will be out in spring of next year. Next up, Ben Cole, filmmaker, uh, director of the One Giant Leap con- documentaries and previous Badger Radio interview uh, interviewee for our Rites of Passage episode, of which I really recommend you go back and listen to if you're interested in all of this sort of transformative work. Um, brilliant interview there from Ben. He's released a new documentary about the organization we spoke about during that, sh- uh, during that show, The Band of Brothers. Uh, go back and listen to it if you're curious about modern rites of passage for young men to hear all about it. Uh, the Band of Brothers, a band of brothers, I should say, a band of brothers, is a charity and they mentor young men at risk of being involved with the criminal justice system. Uh, they initiate around 15 men, young and older, into healthy masculinity using uh, three-day cathartic workshops in the forest and then they mentor them for three months afterwards to sort of help the, the, the impression of those strong three days to, to stay with them. And they have an 80% success rate of non-reoffending. I mean, I just cannot think of a better um, tribute to how much this Rites of Passage work really, really works. And they've got eight groups all over the UK. So if you know anybody who is interested um, in alternative solutions for boys who may have slightly come off the rails, I really, really recommend uh, A Band of Brothers. And in this documentary, uh, you will be able to hear from all of the people who've, who've really got the, the benefits of that work. So thank you, Ben, once again, for continuing to offer your huge skills to, to, for the public good. Um, get on to abandonbrothers.org.uk and, 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 and find that documentary if you're interested in learning a little bit more. Gosh, another fantastic collaborator, one of our first dancers and one of our most charismatic, Amadis Ferrari, a Portuguese musician and dancer, um, incredible funk musician and, and featured on our intense festival special from Andrea Festival last year. If you want to come and check, if you want to go and check out some of his music, uh, it's been tantalizing me with news of a new album being released very soon with the support of a big studio and I'm extremely curious about it, but I cannot get any more details out of him. So we're just going to have to wait uh, and find out uh, in what way the Amadis and the Ambassadors new album is going to burst onto the scene. Such a fan of the funk and I feel that it doesn't get quite enough quite enough exposure these days. So like I said, go back to the intense uh, festival special at Mandrea if you're interested in hearing more from Amadis. But fingers crossed, we're going to get that album soon. I cannot wait. And, oh goodness, just like Gemma's work, finally I can announce that Slamboree's new album, The Long Game, is now out. I've been waiting for this for a year, just like I was waiting for Stop to come out for about a year. Um, it is filthy, totally insane album. Um and definitely darker than their previous stuff, but um, and, and hence we won't be playing a track from it here on the, on the radio, but um, for a party, I can highly recommend Slamboree. And to celebrate this extraordinary story, BBC Music, um, introducing, have made a documentary about their rise to fame, which you can watch on the link in the show notes. And the success follows 
not least, uh, a seminal circus gig in the Badger Woods at the Secret Garden years and years and years ago that introduced them to the agent that launched them internationally. So I'm so proud that we played a part in this wonderful success story and the way that these guys have stuck to their totally unique recipe of big horns and filthy beats and outlandish circus performance. And it's just, it's worked, you know, the international support has just shown that this 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 formula of putting together performance great great unhinged released music um and it's just it's becoming mainstream now which you know years ago i would have said oh gosh you know it's it's going mainstream therefore it's not good anymore but i'm i'm, I'm happy to say I'm, I'm just trying to grow out of that dj mentality um but well done to Mike Freer and all the Slamboree Collective. Uh, you deserve all of the, the the applause that you're getting. So get the new album, The Long Game Now, well worth it if you're into crazy, filthy Balkan beats. And that was the Badger News. Get delicious with Badger Radio.
what a pleasure to get some jazz onto the podcast at last. This, the new album Terms and Conditions from Guido Spanocchi, uh, saxophonist, saxophonist extraordinaire, like just a really incredible input to the modern jazz scene, Guido, and um, previous member of Badger Badger as well. Um, thank you for all of the enthusiasm he's given us over the years. Uh, great to get some of his music out as he just seems to be so, so active on the scene. Yeah, you can see uh, Guido Spanocchi with his trio at the Shoreditch Jazz Train on Kingsland Road. The Shoreditch Jazz Train, um, a new jazz club that Guido's been uh, involved in. And you can also download the entire Terms and Condition album uh, from the link in the show notes if you're interested. Uh, came out earlier in 2018. Um, and he's been touring ever since so do please check Guido's website if you're interested in catching some really really top a top level trio doing their thing in a very very modern way yeah not just run-of-the-mill free jazz very very unique So it is time to speak to our first very special guest on Totem today, psychotherapist, dance and movement therapist and author Ella Kate Reeves. So having studied media and cultural studies uh, and gained a postgrad in integrative psychotherapy, she went on to set up a retreat centre in France called the Alive Centre, where she taught, uh, ran a private psychotherapy practice and dealt with the centre's marketing. But after eight years, she decided to return to the UK following the diagnosis of her son with Friedrich's ataxia, a rare degenerative and incurable disease. There she established a clinic in Hove for people suffering with various eating disorders and working uh, with people with very severe cases in which people had been hospitalized or even sectioned due to the severity of their disease. And later, after surgery to move a brain surgery, a brain tumor, she started to write poetry to process her experience, and these poems have been published under the name Watering My Soul. She's now writing her second book and continues to run her private practice and run shadow workshops for women called The Heroine's Journey, which we'll be talking about uh, a bit later on today. Ella, thank you so much for joining us on Totem. Welcome to Badger Radio. How are you? I'm great, thanks. It's lovely to be here. Well, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing not only your experiences, but obviously all of your specialization. So let's get started by introducing uh, as, as simply as possible this complex idea of what, in your opinion, the shadow actually is, according to Carl Jung. Well, in according to Carl Jung and Jungian theory, it's disowned, um, unintegrated aspects of the self that are perhaps more difficult to accept in oneself and tend to get projected out. So it's the darker aspects such as anger or shame or guilt. You know, these, these, these emotions that we all like to kind of dismiss. <laughs> Carl Jung basically introduced us to the fact that we all carry a shadow and it's possible to make the unconscious shadow conscious. Hmm. But why would anyone want to integrate something so bad? I mean, surely we're justified in, in pushing those away. Well, 
culturally and in our society, we are encouraged to do that. But actually what happens when people do start to engage with aspects of the shadow and cross over into, you know, leaning into it, creating awareness and integration, amazing things change for people um, and projection starts to sort of fall away. What do you mean by um, projection? Well, if, if you don't integrate your shadow, it's very likely you're going to project it out into relationships, into situations, into, you know, things in life where you don't understand how it releases and affects others. And it may have also a very, very negative effect on yourself, your body and your health. Right. So could you just give us an example so somebody might understand that, first of all, the process by which something does get pushed down or suppressed into the shadow, and second of all, how they, they, this pro projection work sort of happens. So but first of all, when, when does this happen, this, this pushing down into the shadow? I, well, in my experience, I mean, it, it sort of happens from the word go, really, in, in terms of our society, because we're not encouraged to follow, you know, certain drives, certain impulses, certain behaviours. Um, we're told to behave in a certain way, and therefore there's a repression and a contraction. And in that, there's a cloaking of the shadow that starts to develop in the personality and the evolution of the soul of any person. So as you kind of hide that away, like a storage pot, it builds up and then spills out. So you dump it onto people, you blame, you shame, other people are wrong. You know, it's nothing to do with you, it's all about them. It's, you know, my partner, my dog, my job. Um, instead of looking within or integrating some of the deep issues and drives within the self. Mm. So go, go, let's just take a silly example of a projection as it might happen in our everyday life. So we might, you know, maybe the listeners could get a sense of when they might be doing that. Sure. Well, if, I mean, it, relationships, intimate relationships or parental relationships, and same with children, but, you know, the other way around, there tends to be tons of projection when you come to intimate relationships, because the more you trust someone and the closer you get and the more you see of them, the easier it is to project. So it could be, you know, it's your fault. I would never behave like that. Who do you think you are? Or you could shame another person or blame another person, even though you have the capacity to do that yourself because you carry a shadow. You may, um, you may be very triggered a lot of the time as well by other people's behavior and not very accepting of difference or different personalities around you because if you're in denial of your shadow, you're going to be um, judgmental of others. So, in fact, these triggers are, if I understand correctly, quite a good way of starting to identify where these repressed mm. elements are. Yes, absolutely. I mean, triggering in some ways has a bad name for itself, but actually when you start to understand shadow work and your own shadow, every time you're triggered by someone else's behavior, it's an opportunity to look within and develop and integrate your own shadow. Brilliant, so so come on, integration, big word, very positive word, probably easier said than done. <laughs> what are the benefits of these this integration process? If we if we could make a start and get going on it, what, we, what benefits would we see of what Jung called individuation? Well, individuation, it's, it's, an, it's a very rich, diverse process. When, once you start to get curious about it and engage with it and see the aspects of one's own shadow, um, 
you can start to, instead of feel ashamed or repression around those, you will automatically start to understand psychologically, firstly, how they've come about, secondly, how they've been repressed and why, for various reasons. And there'll also be a, a falling away of the shame of, of what they actually even are. And once flipped around, these counterparts, these shadow counterparts, contain huge amounts of creative energy. Mm. And like trauma, like a trauma storage pot, we have the same thing that goes on with a shadow storage pot. And once released, tons of energy is released around that and shame. So it's a wonderful process. Once you start to inquire, get curious and sort of dive in, the payoff is immense. There's more relaxation, there's less triggering, um, more acceptance of others and more clarity around your own kind of thoughts, feelings and your creative energy. And presumably, if we've been kind of releasing a lot of these, this very judgmental, sometimes quite eruptive emotions, particularly mm. for us men, I, I identify this a lot in myself, the, you know, this anger that just come, seems to come out of nowhere. I feel mm. very guilty afterwards, but does this help with anger management and then and the, the consequential guilt? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you just take anger as an elemental um, energetic force rather than any of the connotations around it. Anger is like fire. It's actually there to purify. Mm. Okay. So we're not, I mean, we're not raised to think anger is a healthy emotion to express, particularly. I mean, I know things are changing slightly, but we're not on the whole. We're, we're taught to behave ourselves and control it. Actually, um, I would say repressing anger has lethal long term consequences. And actually, um, the, the ability to release anger in the moment is vital to life force, to health, to well-being, and is just as important as any other emotion. Hmm. Interesting. But it's linked to the anima. So, you know, anything that's linked to primal urges often gets a bad rap culturally and in society. Therefore, you're taught to repress it. I can imagine that um, a lot of the shall we say the more sort of artistic elements which in the past have been less fashionable amongst sort of responsible parents looking to raise their children into sort of long-term careers re reliable earning careers could it be that certain creative um, very expressive artistic kind of impulses themselves may have actually been repressed as well yeah i think yeah, in that kind of context, and what came to mind was boarding school too, mm. when you mentioned that, was the sort of, um, that sort of orthodox control that can almost engulf a child in developmental stages. And yes, of course, you know, it's only quite recently we stopped beating children, you know, and that was quite acceptable to control them. Uh, so yeah, even, you know, well-to-do families that are doing their very best you know, their kids are still going to have shadows that need expression and development. So a lot of people suggest that part of this shadow work, Ella, it requires an encounter with a call to adventure, a sort of fearless dive into the unknown, sometimes referred to as the hero's journey. Can yes. You, can you give us a quick introduction to what the hero's journey is and how you think it relates to the integration of the shadow? Sure. Well, I mean, the hero's journey does sort of take... Jung's theory 
and Joseph Campbell does a wonderful job of turning into a mythological journey, mm. which you know is still reflected in Hollywood films today and his history with mythological tales. There's a it's a process of the masculine individuation essentially, mm. and he breaks it down very clearly for the masculine to understand, and that process of individuation does require deep encounter with the masculine shadow. Okay, to actually create a sort of independent, strong. Well, it's the hero, isn't it? <laughs> it's a hero. It's a warrior. So instead of running, um, there's a separation that's involved, and then there's a, a venture where you know demons and whatever you might come across uh, engaged with, which could be perceived as a kind of metaphor for the shadow itself. Mm. And there's a conquest essentially in which the hero encounters, embraces, and integrates the shadow, and becomes more powerful because of that, and returns. Mm. <laughs> so there's a sort of enter entering into a different world or otherworldliness, and then a return on a very human level, on a very grounded level, for the masculine mm. after journeying. And Campbell maps it out in a very clear way, and it's still mimicked today in most of our films and storylines. Sounds a bit like rites of passage. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But it's just a specific map that Joseph Campbell took based on Jung's theory. Mm. So these demons um, represent the unknown, the things we're afraid of. Yes, inside and out. Mm. And so the things that we are afraid of are basically uh, symbols of the things that we, in, in this sense, in the shadow sense, things that we have pushed away, pretending that yeah. they're not us. So, in fact, we're actually yes. going deep into, our, in, inside ourselves and conquering our own greatest fears. Yes, exactly. That's precisely it. How do you conquer something you're integrating? That sounds sort of oxymoronic. I think it sounds a simple thing to say, but firstly, acceptance and willingness. Yeah, yeah. maybe it's a, it's a symbol for acceptance in that way. Yeah, yeah it takes a lot of courage, but also... Um, acceptance, willingness, and the courage to actually embrace and kind of reclaim aspects that you maybe tried to sort of detach from or bypass. There's a, yeah, there's an embracing and an acceptance. And then of course, greater awareness arises out of that and strength. And I think perhaps that, you know, this, this idea of acceptance is just really revolves around the idea of accepting that it's actually there. You know, yes. just getting over our denial that we have these elements. Brilliant. Yes, and that denial system is very strong in our society. Mm. Perhaps because we've lost a lot of these mythological elements. Absolutely, so, yes. Ella, you've taken all of your psychology training and your, your movement training and, and your holistic training and your passion for the shadow into the workshop space to help all kinds of different people um, in your mm. therapies. And now you're particularly yes. working with women's groups on what mm. you've called the heroine's journey. Now, well, can you... named it first. I just well, no, I mean, of course, and, that, and I'm sure you'll, you'll explain this to someone. Can you first of all tell us what was her model of the heroine's journey and how does it differ from, from Campbell's, you know, obviously specific to the, the, the women's shadow journey? 
if at oh, all. It's a great story. It's a, it's a wonderful story um, between the two of them because Maureen Murdoch actually liaised with Joseph Campbell at one point um, about, you know, she sort of challenged him and asked, you know, well, what's the heroine's journey? And he, he sort of was like, well, women are already there. And in her eyes, she was a psychotherapist. She had a practice of her own. She realized that it wasn't and she wanted to map it out herself. And essentially, the the cyclic nature of it, and I have to point out it's cyclic, not linear, um, is that of more of a, an adventure, but a, a, where more is taken away. There's a, a sense of, of stripping away, of falling away, illusions falling away. There's still the separation from the feminine and the adventure into the unknown, but it's not the same. It's not the same as um, the heroes in terms of the formula of that cycle. And so I specifically work with Maureen Murdoch's model and take it into the sort of retreat space um, with women, normally out in nature and start to embody it and actually build it into a very tangible retreat. And I also really do a lot of shadow work with women in my private practice too. Mm. Um, and the we see it now, I think, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but we're starting to see this reflected back in our films like Wonder Woman or The Last Jedi, where we see actually that the women are having a, a different journey. They do leave the feminine, they do encounter the masculine, but they don't need rescuing as such you know, the, the sort of male version we often get with Hollywood films. They may even rescue the man, in fact, in, in modern films. So we've got all of that. Wonder Woman is a perfect example of Maureen Murdoch's model, actually, the contemporary version of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we see her, you know, she actually doesn't live happily after, ever after with a mortal man. She actually carries on and she's the leader. The same with The Last Jedi. She refuses to be rescued or protected by the man, but actually develops her own skills. An individuation yeah a kind of opposite individuation although it follows the same cycle as you said it's almost completely diametrically uh, the mirror of the man's well there's a lot of glory and personal focus in the hero's journey but actually in the heroines it's more about future and creating a progressive transgressive new earth so it's more about the collective fascinating Wow. But that's because the nature of women, you know, women face in the very fact that we're women, we haven't really, you know, hit equality yet, that we, we naturally know that there is a level of persecution that we all face. So the journey in its cyclic nature is almost not oppositional, but a reversal of the masculine's sort yeah. of adventure. <laughs> As the journey. male the male and female principle in nature, you know, yes. tend to be very, very opposite, don't they? Absolutely, just like yin and yang. So just to give the, the listeners an idea if they wanted to, if any women wanted to join some of your workshops, what sort of activities would you do to kind of encourage people to, to, to drop down into that space, to encounter some of these, these shadows and then sort of go on and, and be encouraged to go on their own heroine's journey within the workshop space? Well, I, I blend together physical movement, something I've created a meditation for women called Soul Dance, which works with the archetypes, including the shadow archetypes. So we do that as part of each day, which is a sort of dancing, active, dynamic meditation. Then there's group work. Then we'll go off into the jungle and write. Wow. <laughs> and then we may return, have another group. Uh, it's quite physical. There's a lot of sharing. The women get to know each other a lot. We spend a lot of time out in nature. And each day, you know, the women 
develop their trust with one another and I take them through a seven-day process and um, it's very beautiful it's very cyclic and it's quite intimate in a lot of ways and most women come out with a greater sense of who they are and sort of I think more relaxation about yeah their shadow what they've been through and where they're taking their energy forward. And out of interest what do you feel, particularly looking at this, this quite unique time that we live in with the, the vast acceleration of, of cultural change with the internet mm. and with technology, what do you feel that women's greatest sort of shadow elements, and you, obviously just from, with your experience from your workshop participants, what do you see as the recurring themes in the women's shadow? Hmm. Well, there's, there's recurring themes. There's jealousy is a big one. I would say. I think it's very hard in today's culture for women to find spaces to sort of really be honest about their insecurity, their shadow, their rage, um, you know, all of that stuff that's so important to heal and to understand psychologically. So I think some of them are, it's, it's about anger, um, you know, and it might be very old, the anger, it might go way, way back. Jealousy, um, there could be a sense of a lot of women want more power and agency in their lives. Agency is actually the word I'm looking for here. Yeah. And in I terms of in terms of society itself, you know, we've we've seen some some I, I hope very positive changes, um, you know, for women over the last 50, 60 years. Do you, do you feel that that's slightly modulated or changed the sort of shadow issues that there are or just that the time has come for those deeply buried wounds of, you know, so many generations to, to finally come out? Maybe it'll take quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, of course, I feel it's definitely time. Um, it's definitely time for it. But they are old wounds and they are collective old wounds in our society and our history. So I much as I would like to think that, you know, this would all happen quite swiftly <laughs> and shift collectively the consciousness of the planet and of men and women, I have a feeling it will take time. Um, and I think that's just because women, you know, we've, the pendulum swung and we have to find a way to redress things and balance out. And for the, you know, the hero and the heroine to work as one, that, that's really important. That would be a great objective, wouldn't it? I think we've still got yeah. a quite, quite a way to go yet. Quite a lot, a lot to do before that yeah. point. Well, I mean, it's obviously urgent work, Kate, but I'm, I'm uh, sorry, Ellie, I'm curious uh, if you feel, do you see any phenomena in, in sort of, let's say, the modern media, um, should we say current affairs? Do you, do you see that there's anything that really just shows the women's shadow coming out with a vengeance on the world stage? Can you Can you think of any examples of that? Um, I think hmm, I was, uh, there's lots of sort of things in the news at the moment that are, sort of have themes and threads of that. I think we see sudden outbursts sometimes, you know, the, which are often labelled as the hysterical woman or the whatever woman. Um, the sort of, you know, labels that are projected onto women for certain behaviours. I can't think of, I mean, there's so many, you know, <laughs> if you read a newspaper or a magazine, especially magazines, the world of magazines, there are just so many ways in which we undermine and destroy female energy. And women themselves are still not 
Um, I mean, the Me Too campaign had moments of that, I felt, when I watched certain things happen in America, and even, for example, where Madonna went, fuck the White House, um, live on TV. That was quite a difficult moment um, when she talked about her desire to blow up the White House. And I thought that was a very clear-cut example of a, yeah. of, you know, of a Catholic woman, you know, who's saying, this is my shadow and this is how I feel, extreme as it may have seemed to, to many other people. Um, there was that sense in her, and she's done that in her music video. She's subverted an awful lot. Absolutely, and it's it's more and more common in our, our sort of liberalised media society where we're allowed to be be quite bold in our in our mm. messaging. Yeah. Well, listen. Is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of why you think this is important? Because it seems to me that not only is this really really urgent, because the more we leave it in 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 the shadows, the more we sort of allow these triggers to to let us unleash this rage um you know just mm. look at the popularism we see in the debate about immigration look in the the popularist polarization we're seeing um in in the whole world of of politics and policy forming i mean from your point of view as a psychologist and somebody who's working on a very sort of caring level uh, and trying to really help people heal do you see there as uh, there being any risks if we don't try and sort of face this as a society relatively soon? Yeah, and I think we're seeing we're seeing it now, aren't we? I'm just thinking of Kavanaugh versus Ford, and we're seeing it all over the place. That if we don't actually start to integrate the shadow, there's a, a polarity that's going to climax, and it's not a pretty one if it's unconscious. It could. You know, and we're seeing many examples in the news at the moment of this happening. In fact, a lot are coming up, you know, back to back at the moment. And it's it's quite ugly and uncomfortable to see. So I think it's urgent political work, actually, is yeah. to start to work with making the shadow realm really um, accessible in terms of introducing it to people, you know, the general public in a way that yoga has very slowly crept into our Western world um, as a practice and something that we've finally sort of embraced well that's a good example of can you kind of give the listeners any ideas of how you might you know suggest to them either individually or in their communities how they might sort of help uh their their, their communities and their their local activities to start to include this have you got any advice because you make it sound so so easy and so so friendly well it, it to me because i've worked with it for you know 20 years it's it, it it's so i see the importance of it i see that people carry so much fear around their shadow and uh, you know me and my shadow it's like people are terrified of their sh shadow a lot of people are really scared to go there yeah. but it's an illusion it's a complete illusion because the power locked away in the shadow is the very key to transforming the planet collectively and this huge energy that gets trapped in that repression so in terms of bringing it forward and making it more kind of tangible to the general public i think accessible we've got to start to make accessible yeah that maybe more workshops more groups um more availability and a sort of losing the taboos of psychotherapy to, you know in terms of thinking i have to have a problem or be neurotic or be this or that to have therapy i mean psychotherapy is just something that's helpful for everyone it's a healthy thing to do for anyone do you think psychological and health could be something we could introduce into school programs I would love to see that happen. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, along with media awareness. Yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps we could yeah. start a campaign. 
<laughs> yes, I Let's would be. Let's get this very, into the schools. Very involved with that campaign. Well, listen. Yes. Ella, Shadow thank you. work schools would be wonderful, wouldn't it? It would be so interesting. And what a great time during puberty to, to start to face mm. it. Because that's when it really starts coming out. It's bubbling out. They've got no idea where it's coming from. I certainly remember having absolutely no idea where all of that was coming from. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be a really good time sort of bring it into awareness before it even gets buried. Absolutely. Well, Ella, I cannot thank you enough for this extraordinary... Um, brief but very beautiful and really accessible introduction to us uh, you know me and the listeners uh, to the shadow and and you just make it sound doable so i'm feeling really like we can do this we can do this um, it's great work but tell us where can the listeners find your work where can we find out about your workshops and tell us briefly about your new book Ah, okay, so I have a, you can go to my website under Ella Kate Reeves for author and psychotherapy information and retreats in Thailand and in the UK. I have um, a Facebook page, The Heroine's Journey, you can write to me on that and you can follow me as Ella Kate Reeves, psychotherapist author on Facebook um, and get in contact with me at any given moment really. Um, I'm pretty accessible when I'm in the country and I have a private practice in Hove too. Brilliant. And um, your your new book is it more poems or is it is it slightly different? It's well, it's actually come out. It's called Patchwork Majesty: Life After Death, and wow. it's my own journey uh, and my son's journey, and a fresh collection of poetry. It's just been reviewed and won a prize and got five star review, which I'm really chuffed about. Congratulations! Yeah, it's been it's been it took two years to write, so it was nice. But I'm now writing my next book. <laughs> Well, listen, it goes without saying, listeners, um, I think you can tell just from the conversation we've just had how useful it would be for, for all of us, but you know, obviously in Ella's case, particularly women, to get in touch, uh, get on this, this, this runaway train uh, with Ella because obviously she's had brilliant results with this. You can just hear it in, uh, in the confidence she, she brings that across. So get onto her website, join her mailing list, get onto her Facebook page. And, um, and we will certainly be checking out your new book as well. All the links will be on the interview. Ella, thank you so, so much for joining us and all the best. Our total pleasure. Thank you.
a sound. You could not believe that the album uh, has been recently recorded. Um, stunning, stunning work. This is from the album Approved Cabin Baggage from Fred Stitz, um, bassist uh, of the collective for The Turbans. And you can actually find him in an interview with us with... Uh, uh, with the turbans from last year's intense festival special uh, at Wilderness Festival. Hilarious guy. His influence is very clear here. Crosby, Stills, Nash, Hendrix, Neil Young. Yeah, this album is all about um, approved cabin baggage and how ridiculous it is that they will not let musicians bring their precious instruments on, uh, into the cabin. And he, you know, Fred must have had four or five guitars destroyed, including his first ever guitar. Um, destroyed on flights so this is his little way of having a rant about this so it's a really really uh, very very unique album this and very unique um, group of musicians so what well on Fred keep it up the So it's time to talk to the second of our guests on Totem today, documentary maker, writer and journalist David Fuller. David's made films about Syrian refugees, Russian prostitutes, Cuban defectors, psychedelic drugs, hip-hop stars and gangsters, mainly for Channel 4 and the BBC. He worked for Channel 4 News for many years as a reporter, producer, cameraman and editor, and interestingly worked for, as a foreign producer during the height of the Arab Spring in Egypt, Libya, Bahrain and elsewhere. His most recent project, Rebel Wisdom, is a YouTube channel, podcast, workshop program uh, designed to help people move beyond ideological thinking as part of what he's identified as a current great intellectual awakening. So Rebel Wisdom uniquely aims to engage the whole person, their intellect, body and intuition to stimulate honest discussions about sometimes difficult themes which we urgently need to face if our society is going to remain healthy through these turbulent times. David, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on Totem. How are you? Very well, Freddie. How are you doing? Very, very well. And uh, really, really excited to have uh, such an experienced professional uh, on Totem with us. So you're a professional current affairs journalist. How did you discover transformational work and The Shadow in particular? And, and why did you consider it important enough to set up Rebel Wisdom? So I was doing a lot of shadow work myself at the same time that I was working as a journalist, just in my own time. I guess like a lot of people, I, I found it through my own crisis or kind of feeling that I needed, there were things in myself that I needed to work on. Found it really, really helpful, really useful to, to do what I'd call shadow integration. Hmm. And then I realized that a lot of the things that I was dealing with in my kind of in these transformational workshops was actually playing out on the on the world stage as well. And I guess my my kind of sense of the meta story that we're going through at the moment, and I think partly to do with the 
democratization of media and the fact that we, a lot of the, the kind of gatekeepers are losing control of the narrative is that a lot of this shadow material is now going to have to be processed on a very wide cultural level. I mean, you look at something like Trump, which to me is, he is clearly the shadow of America. Yeah. And the only way through is to kind of integrate and see what part of him is also part of me, part of us. What is it? And and I think that this, yeah, I really think that this shadow work is is the essential, is going to be the essential psychological work for all of us over the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years, generation probably. And Hence. with Rebel Wisdom, we make films, but we also run workshops. The films, we we started with making films about Jordan Peterson, the psychologist, who I, I'm sure many of your listeners will be aware is a very controversial figure. But I'd be, if you check out the interview that I did with him, it was mainly about the shadow, mainly about the necessity of integrating the shadow, what that looks like. And he's popularizing this Jungian idea of shadow integration in a way that I think is pretty, yeah, it's completely unique in, in society and his success shows, I think, the the resonance of that message now. So we, we started making films about him, the first documentary about him, and then we've done a lot of interviews since then. But we do the the workshops as well because I'm, I know from my own background that the intellect is only one side of the coin and actually we need to embody a lot of these for anything to tr truly transform us, it has to be embodied. Absolutely, so yeah. There's no, there, there, there's no shortcut than actually doing the work, which is why we run the workshops as well. So apart from this extraordinary catalogue of fascinating interviews with, with these thinkers, which I can highly recommend to all the listeners, you can find it on YouTube, on the Rebel, Rebel Wisdom channel, but you can also get it in podcast form if you prefer. As David says, Rebel Wisdom also offers workshops, and uh, the shadow work plays a big part in that. David, what kind of techniques do you offer your participants during these workshops to integrate their shadow? And do you have any advice for our listeners who might want to get into this process right away at home before they, they might be able to attend some of these workshops? A good way is always to look at what, what or who in the world you have a really strong reaction to hmm. and shadow by definition is is where is the reaction out of proportion to the the thing that's creating it where if you think of someone who if you just kind of a meditation for example just imagine you're on walking down the street and someone walks past and you just know immediately i really hate that person that person looks annoying and just and just really picture what this person looks like how they're walking how they're dressed what is it about them that's really triggering because you don't know that person so there's something in the way that they are appearing that is really triggering something in you and then the process and this is the difficult process of shadow integration is to take it from this kind of theoretical point of i really hate that person to recognizing that there is something in me that I am rejecting or not accepting that I'm then projecting out onto this person. Right. And the, 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 the key, as I said, to shadow work is that 
the stimulus is always out of proportion to the response and the way that it makes you feel. Mm. And, so how, and, that, how might and that's you... why it's so difficult to, to own that part of the shadow. And then how do you face that in a workshop context? In a workshop context, we'll, we'll often ask people to, to go back into events in their past that, that have created some kind of reaction and then to isolate, to identify what it is about that situation or about that encounter that, that came up. So yeah, a lot of these workshops are in fact men's work sessions. Although now, wonderfully, uh, Rebel Wisdom is starting to offer women's work as well. What kind of issues do men in particular need to work on and work through regarding their shadows? And, and why do you think there's such a rebirth of men's work in the last few years? So what we, we work specifically with something that I think is very common to a lot of men, and that's the sense of not showing up or holding ourselves back in some way which can be in our work, it can be in our relationships, and really feeling the frustration of those times where we hold ourselves back. I think going into a, a meditation or into a, a process of really identifying what those places are, and I think this is common to, I've certainly found it common to all the men who've come to our workshops, is there's some areas of our lives where we feel that we're not fully showing up and actually, I think a lot of women I speak to also, that's one of their big criticisms of, of, of men is that often men don't show up in relationships. They're not fully present. And Can you really... expand that? What, what, is, what do you mean by not showing up? Is that sort of not being, not being fully present, not sort of a part of you that's just not there? Can you, can you expand on that idea of not showing well, up? Withdrawing, not speaking, not saying what's really going on, for example. Yeah in relationship is a perfect example. Not really saying, wow, this is what just came up. This is how I felt. And trying to damage control a situation or to, to not speak the truth. Whereas actually, if you don't speak the truth of what's really going on, then it, then it, it starts running us from the shadows. It's sort of the definition of a shadow in a way. Yeah. Um, and what we, what we do is take the men into that sense of frustration because actually that sense of frustration at not showing up in our lives is itself a source of of energy and that anger and that aggression and that kind of feeling of really held back frustration is something that we can use as fuel to drive ourselves if we're not denying it if we're not and a lot of men i think from my generation in particular have like I was raised by a feminist mother. I was I was sort of brought up in the the 80s, and I think a lot of us decided we didn't want to be like those men from the past, those angry guys, those sort of people who are who are adding to a lot of the the troubles we were seeing in the world. But I think if you completely negate that, or I, I find that if I completely negate that side of myself, then actually I'm cutting myself off from my power. And, and as my our mentor Raffia says, it's a very small layer, that layer of frustration, that layer of anger, that, that layer of um, aggression is actually very small. And if we go into it consciously, we come out into a new sense of vitality, a new sense of connection to our purpose, a new sense of being present in the world. And that's, that's a process that we take 
guys through. And I think that also you, you mentioned about about the rebirth of men's work in the last few years. I think it, if that's true, it's because there's a lot of men who are realizing that that's something that they have cut themselves off from. And I, I, I believe a lot of these sort of gender dynamics that are going on in the culture at the moment, it's not an excess of masculinity. Like for example, the, the Me Too, um, the abuses that are being coming to light through Me Too, I don't think that that's, that's an excess of masculinity. I think it's a lack of genuine grounded masculinity, yeah. which is men who are secure in themselves and don't need to take from others to feel good about themselves. Like a sort of in insecure, I... insecure dictator kind of approach though. Yeah, exactly. I think a, a man who's truly grounded in himself is not leaking out, is not needing to, to, to take from others in order to boost his self-esteem, to boost, um, yeah, to, to compensate from some lack in himself. So are you actually trying to redefine perhaps this idea of the sort of macho, uh, pugnacious, militarized uh, idea of the man? Are you trying to literally redefine what it is to be a man for these, for these guys in your workshops? We actually call them the new masculinity. And yes, there's, there's two things. There's one, emotional health. We talk, we talk about the value of honesty and we create environments where men can really be honest with other men about what's going on. So vulnerability is a key part of that, but it can't, and there's actually quite a strong kind of cultural force at the moment behind the idea of men being vulnerable. The danger of that is it can slip into a, into a narrative of men are faulty, men are emotionally stunted, men are, this is the problem with, with masculinity is that men cannot express themselves and it can become a, another way of shaming men. Yeah. While, while I think there's also another side to that, which is taking pride in, in our masculinity as well. And I think there's an element here of, of some of these issues are just so touchy and so toxic that, you know, uh, you know when it comes to feminism and, and gender and equality, that when we do try and have those conversations with men and women present, you know, we can immediately be jumped on and I think there's one something wonderful about men's and women's work providing a space where men and women can can speak very privately and very honestly about these inner things without that feeling of, of risking a polarized conversation do, do you find that when you facilitate men's work yes yes I think I think it's essential that we have these spaces for men and for women to resource ourselves to then be able to meet men and women and each other. I think this is something that we've had throughout our tribal history. Um, these these single sex environments that I think resource us for then meeting the opposite sex from a much more grounded place. Absolutely. And I think I think that what we're seeing at the moment is a is a real confusion between this sort of definition of the patriarchy and a very a very kind of ideological space that's opening up pushed by some extremes of feminism. Mm. And this, this I think, is where I, I would agree with an observation that says we've all, we have a, a society that has been run on male values, essentially, and it's led all of us to, to suppress certain aspects of ourselves. 
it's rewarded some aspects and it's suppressed other aspects and it's really important to reclaim those aspects but when that which some people may call may sort of talk about a patriarchal system but when it becomes a kind of conspiracy theory that says men have suppressed women throughout history and it becomes a very simple victim oppressor narrative i think this this is is quite dangerous and i think it leads to certainly a lot of men in in my generation feeling guilty about themselves as men and this is being pushed by the culture i mean i'm, I'm thinking of a there's an article quite recently in the in the washington post which said why can't we hate men so there's this narrative in the culture at the moment that is very simplistic mm. i think it's very dangerous and i think it's very polarized yeah. it's polarizing and it's ideological and and i think it's because i mean for example i i think it's true to say not that men have oppressed women throughout history but men have also self-sacrificed men have also seen themselves as providers men have also done jobs that they have not wanted to do throughout to provide for women and children and it's only since the 60s that women have had control of or yeah it's only since the 60s that women have had control of reproduction so we were all in some sense oppressed by nature and by by yeah by nature for 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 most of our history so now we have a chance to make we have a great interview with Warren Farrell which he says we weren't designed to be functional we were designed to survive and in some sense the relationship between the sexes was dysfunctional now for the first time in history we have a chance to make it functional as well as as about survival absolutely and you know in the context of the shadow conversation just very very simply if stuff gets repressed due to this polarization it comes out much much worse uh, when it becomes projected through the shadow rather than being made conscious so dave all of this sounds really really relevant to us as individual men and women on our spiritual journeys to try and, as Jung would call it, sort of integrate or individuate ourselves and, and stay as healthy as possible with as little repression as possible. But it seems to me that, that if we looked at society as a whole, uh, almost as a being in itself with its own, its own story, uh, its own life, if you like, it seems to me that this is just as relevant to society as a whole. It might be quite useful to look at it in that way. Is there such a thing as a communal shadow? And if so, what are the negative things that, that, that our society has been forced to repress into its communal unconscious? I mean, some of these things you've touched on already. I think a big thing for me is tribalism, that in some sense we are hardwired to be tribal. And yet, I'm assuming that sort of most of the people listening to this would kind of identify themselves as liberals, as, as would I. And we're in a process of with with brexit and with trump this big rebellion against what a lot of us thought was a sort of progression towards a, a more liberal society and a more yeah a more developed society and it feels and i think a lot of that is because of a tribalism of of liberalism that does not accept itself as a tribalism that for me is the biggest shadow and I've called it the shadow of liberalism. Mm. This kind of idea that because we are, there are certain views that I think are, are, are good views. Um, like we're much more, we're much more accepting of a lot of 
um, sexualities, ethnicities. We we are we consider ourselves much more open-minded, and in many ways we are. But along with that goes a subtle judgment of all of those who don't share our particular values. And I think we we've kind of cre- we like to think of ourselves as being post-tribal, post-nationalistic. But in some sense, that's a new tribalism. Yeah. And I think both Brexit and Trump are a rejection against this this kind of self-satisfied liberal tribalism. And I think we we're, we're actually only at the beginnings of that at the moment, because I think the what we consider uh, sort of by we I mean sort of the media classes and kind of liberal society in the West as our world is actually only shared by a fairly small number of people and that's been and that's pretty much the the dominant narrative in the media but i i think it's quite fragile and i think we're really seeing the fragility of that at the moment yeah certainly when it leads to this kind of popularist polarized fallout um and peterson touches on this quite controversially doesn't he he's been quite badly hit by by the liberals uh, for for being quite honest about what he feels is is some quite hypocritical um, kind of idealism, just blatant idealism without sort of looking at who we really are. Do you yeah, feel he's very he's very good at saying really look at yourself, really look at your resentments? Do you, do you, do you feel his critics are justified? Not? Do you feel his critics are justified in their in in sort of picking him up on what might be considered slightly right wing? Well, it depends which critics. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't describe him as right wing. Um, I, I think he's been Merit- meritocratic, shall we say? Before. Meritocratic, shall we say? Yeah, I mean, I genuinely do believe that he's a centrist, yeah. but he's a centrist in a very. Most of the media has become very ideologically liberal, and I, I think he's more of a traditionalist. But I think he's pointing to, he's saying there are reasons why we have these traditions. There are deep, there are deep truths embedded in a lot of the, the ways that we, that we act and we behave and don't throw them out without understanding what those are. And I think he would see the 60s, for example, and afterwards as a, as a, as a real, an experiment in sort of different lifestyles and different ways but there are consequences of these different lifestyles. For example, um, promiscuity. He would say, when you're having sex with someone, you are you are going very deep into their soul. Be very careful about who you do this with. And I think a lot of people are, are kind of recognizing that. Okay, it's 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 good to liberalize many things, but at the same time, there are consequences to doing that, and there are there are reasons for some of the practices and some of the the knowledge of the past that's often encoded in deep mythology and deep religion. Well, that's that a really, really, really good example. And say, well, well, we'll reinvent everything. Yeah, well, that's a really good example, Dave. And, and coming back a little bit, sort of pulling away from from politics and coming back a little bit more into into Jung's communal unconscious idea. I mean, that's a very important feature of of our of our modern society and and that's a really good example the sexuality and 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 free sexuality and free love can you see can you can you think of any other really clear examples of 
where where our communal shadow where we've had to force things into the shadow as a society to to keep going forward with our chins up and, and staying strong I think, as I said before, there is a sense that there's a possibility for the return of many of the more feminine qualities of intuition and direct knowledge. I think that's something that the sort of mechanistic West has suppressed. I mean, you look at Gnosticism, you look at mysticism, you look at all of these sort of romantic um, ways of knowing and that it's they've not been the biggest part of the culture it's mostly been a very mechanistic and materialist culture but i think we're coming to the end of that paradigm and what i mean that's really what rebel wisdom is founded on is the idea that we need we need fresh thinking and we need to reintegrate many of the things we've discarded in the past and i think a a key part of that one of my favorite philosophers richard tarnas talks about this in passion of the Western mind is that our our worldview, we've gone as far as we can go with the kind of skeptical materialist worldview and what we need yeah. to do is to reopen to the intuitive and the direct forms of knowledge yeah. in a in a more, and that, that to me is kind of integrating the feminine. And I think that's something that we we now have the possibility to do because the technology that we've created through our kind of very masculine drive for <laughs> um, control and convenience, and this kind of idea of escaping, escaping our escaping our nature in a way has created these incredible this incredible world that that ha- now has the possibility we're not we're not hacking our existence out of the ground on a daily basis in a way that we were maybe even a hundred years ago when we were living on probably less than a dollar a day um, in most of the developed world. So, you know, you mentioned technology is one of the tools that society and individuals has to sort of face that communal shadow and to, to help us bring into consciousness, bring into awareness some of the things that have been squished down, uh, for, you know, from within the expectations of our society around us. Can you think of any other tools and, and techniques that we could now use other than obviously you know YouTube which which you're using so effectively I'm not sure of your question Freddie sorry what's well I think what I'm asking you is what what are the tools you know how if I if I was to come out and say you know what can we do to bring the communal shadow into awareness mm. uh, you've, you've mentioned the use of technology which I would say specifically refers to the use of, of media uh, particularly through the internet that is slightly more free and, and democratized can you think of any other examples like if, if someone was looking for advice on where they might sort of activate this within their local communities how could you know, what other tools can they use I think a lot of this has to be done in person. Mm. I think there's only so much that can be done online. And one of the things that I would say is to, is to get ourselves into environments where our ideas are challenged, where we're genuinely hearing, because it, we've especially, we've created filter bubbles for ourselves so completely online that I think this process has become harder and harder to to snap out of 
uh, ideological prisons and actually do some genuine, genuine thinking again. I think a lot of what we now take to be thinking is 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 almost like a computer program. If this, then this, and this social media is certainly rewarding reaction rather than response. And I I think a key thing is to try and create environments and and places where people can feel free to express themselves and feel that they're they're able to have their ideas challenged and to challenge others ideas in turn mm, absolutely so these sort of communal spaces civilized discourse places where we can discuss both on and offline so to coming back to shadow integration as a sort of psychological technique um in your experience from what you've feedback you've got from your workshop participants, maybe speaking to other people who've worked with Jungian psychology over longer periods of time. Do you find that the shadow integration work, the individuation as Jung called it, really works and sustains over time? Or is it like so many things that, that after a period we fall back into our old habits and we need to sort of do the work all over again? Um, I'd say yes to both of those points. Yes, it can sustain over time and yes, we will fall back as well. I feel like it's it's kind of two steps forward and one step back. What I think shadow work does is gives us more options. And it's like we can create a new possibility for ourselves, but the old possibility, so for example, if, if you're talking about a particular reaction to a particular situation that you realize is being triggered by something that's unresolved in your in your shadow, identifying that already gives the possibility to 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 just realize in the moment that that's happening and give another possibility. But that other possibility is still very fragile. It's like we're trying to create a new pathway where we've got a motorway that we've run down, we've used our whole life. Yeah. So we're it is fragile, but I have found, and I also think that changing the behavior is only the first step. And then we have to change other things in our lives. We have to, we exist in relation to other things. So mm. if it's a relationship we're wanting to improve, then it has to be improved uh, with the other person. We have to, we have to have that dialogue. So or, or if we're wanting, if we're wanting to kind of change our lifestyle, we have to actually make it real. Mm. You've spoken quite often about how you feel that this is really, really urgent work, both both on an individual level and in terms of society and some of the political issues you were mentioning earlier. What do you think is the risk if we don't start this work on quite a mass scale quite, quite soon? Can you sort of give us an apocalyptic future if we don't really start to face our communal shadow? What are the risks? Um, I th Most of the speakers that I'm following most closely and I'm most impressed by the depth of their thought are speaking about this in existential terms. Mm. The likes of Jordan Greenhall, Eric and Brett Weinstein, Daniel Schmachtenberger. The, these are some of the, 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 the most interesting thinkers I know. And they think that if we don't get a handle on our our tribalism, for example, and the fact that evolution, I think Brett Weinstein said that evolution will end in a self 
exterminating event if we don't repurpose the game that it is playing which is a pretty terrifying way of looking at it and i think that's absolutely true i think does it get does it get more apocalyptic than that does it no and he's a he's he's one of the the world's best evolutionary biologists and pretty much everyone else in these in these spheres is saying the same thing the technologies that we that that we've created from biological weapons to nuclear weapons to ai to all of these things is getting cheaper and cheaper and easier and easier and that will not change to the point where in 20 years things that are only possible for governments now may be possible for individuals or small groups so the idea that so we have to in some sense really start integrating this stuff on a on a on a huge level i think this conversation around the shadow and about mainstreaming the kind of personal growth work is something that has to happen it has to it has to be as common as say yoga is right now Mm. or some of the other massive changes that we've seen since the 80s i think emotional health and shadow integration has to become mainstream and your work uh, is i think we're pretty we're pretty screwed your your work and and the wild workshops program and so many other innovations uh, across the, the the holistic kind of movement of the western world i think are making really big big inroads into that obviously making that go really mainstream uh, is is potentially a few further steps away but i'm i'm feeling pretty positive about it David, thank you so much um, for this this short insight into such a deep and, and complex field. What have you got, guys got coming up that the listeners should be should be checking your website for? And of course, actually, where can they find your website? And um, is there something in particular? Because obviously, all of these interviews uh, on your channel are, are worth watching. Is there something you particularly think might be a, a good inroad, a good starting point for somebody who's potentially quite new to this? Um, I'd just say just go and have a look at the channel and see what really speaks to you. Mm. We've, we've tried to to title them in interesting ways. There's one Jamie Wheel uh, interview called How to Steal Fire from the Gods, which I think is one of the best <laughs> things we've put out. Yeah. And we've got workshops coming up. We're doing our men's workshops every two or three months. And we've got a, polar- a big four-day polarity workshop coming up in January. Gosh. And uh, our first women's workshop is running at the moment, and then I'm, I'm sure there'll be more of those as well. Brilliant. Well, get on down to uh, this YouTube channel, guys, and most importantly, try and consider um, getting to some of these workshops. David, thank you, thank you so much, and um, I really, really appreciate you taking your time out for, for Badger Radio. Thank you. Thank you, Freddie. Music from the underground, only on Badger Radio. So getting our electronic fix now with Bup Bada, new track from Alex Denholm. Uh, Alex is a big part of uh, our festival community and uh, is does a, a lot of duo, duo DJing with Professor Stretch, who, as you probably know from our love affairs, is uh, one of our favorite Badger DJs and um, features at most of our parties. Um, so huge fan of Big Al and Professor Stretch's work together, um, DJ and producer. You can also find more of Big Al's production under the name Juan Time. That's Juan Time as well as Alex Denholm. 
Uh, so if you're interested in his work, do check out his website, bangingchillout.com. Uh, or look him up online you can find his music available to download pretty much everywhere and we are extremely uh, excited that this is going to go out on Big Al's uh, Radio Love show on Mother FM so really really grateful for for, for Big Al including Badger Radio on uh, uh, on Radio Love and that's going to be going out also in South Africa um, Alex's original country so loving the fact that, that uh, we're going to be getting some listeners out in South Africa. Hello to you all down there. And uh, do follow us up and uh, stick with us. So this is Bup Bada from Alex Denho. So listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us through this quite challenging process of facing up to this stark reality of um, the shadow itself. And I do hope that following these interviews, uh, like me, you see the hope, you see the enormous uh, potential um, of what can be achieved if we do find a way to not only integrate these repressed uh, negative elements into ourselves in a constructive and accepting way but also potentially to even start to encourage that on a wider level in our communities and in our society um you know i think really the key here is about letting go of our taboos around uh, mental health and around all of these um these issues you know just to understand this is completely natural you know, we don't have a problem that is something to be ashamed of. Um, you know, like all mental health issues, you know, it is completely natural that such problems should come up and that we need to re really look into this uh, at a very, very basic level and say, listen, this is part of being human and, and we can do something with this. And I think we need to remember the that the, the energy freed up um, by releasing all of this kind of sort of holding 
down of all of these elements and the energy freed up by not having that huge, huge weight of, of judgment and guilt um, upon us, you know, and that, that, that energy that freed is freed up, we don't even need to be taking away from others in this kind of, sort of draining process. It's now available and that, 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 you know, even just for that energy that's, that's, that's going to be freed up, this would be worth it, not to mention all of the benefits to society. And, you know, fascinating to um, to speak to David there about some of these communal projection issues, some of the issues we see in the world. You know, I would be really fascinated to, uh, to know what a life without projection would do to our world and how it would change the the sort of landscape of, of the media and, and of all of this sort of name-calling and this scapegoating that seems to go on in the world press and in the world of politics. You know, it just seems to me that it's getting in the way of any kind of sort of problem solving. Um, you know, it is uh, ugly and, and uncomfortable to face this part of ourselves, but but we we are carrying all of the fear to go there. So just imagine how great it would be not to have to, you know, spend all of that energy carrying that fear and just really to let go of it and, 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 and sort of get into this process. And, and my... My real interest here is that it seems to me that there is the possibility to really transform the planet collectively. And, and this brings me to sort of really my, my closing point coming away from these, these, these fascinating explanations from Ella and from David. Is that imagine that our children, um, and I think that the key here is the children because those children do become the adults who, who form the, the, the world. And the you know the community of, of minds that, that creates the world on a daily basis. You know, just imagine that those children grow up having not been repressed, having been supported in those negative emotions, and have been given the right to express them, let them out of their system, and not be forced to hold on to them like some sort of toxic, um, you know, um, poison deep within themselves but just allowing them to release them and the the huge benefit that can come about from that I've recently discovered a beautiful technique um, thanks to Roman Norris hand-in-hand uh, -hand parenting which is really all about this it's just uh, the, the idea that being heard uh, is hugely healing and listening to children and letting them go through those emotions that are I think their birthright and, and instead of just saying, no, stop, stop, do not behave like that, you know, just imagine those adults growing up to be healthy, accepting, respecting, non-judgmental adults. Just imagine the world that they would create. I think as, um, as Roma um, Norris, who is a, a hand-in-hand parenting consultant and you know I'm, I'm really tempted to do a whole show on this because it's so fascinating as Roma believes that this is a form of activism you know if we can actually do this if we can cut this cycle of repression between adults and their children those children will grow up to be healthy adults and they will create a world of respect and acceptance between us and our and our fellow humans and gosh we can start to think of ourselves as a species again instead of just this sort of ridiculously divided and, and conquered group of polarized individuals struggling with the, the huge weight of our repressed negative elements. 
Anyway, guys, thanks for bearing with us on this. Um, you know, some of the the most important things are not just all roses and positive thinking and, you know, some of the most urgent techniques that we want to introduce on Totem for, you know, for bringing your life into more fruition and allowing ourselves to really let go and have more fun. Um, they are going to be a bit harder to face. So I really, really appreciate you guys um, sticking with us to the end of the show like this. Guys, we absolutely love making this show. So do please... Um, Get onto iTunes, um, review us, give us a five-star rating if you're interested. Don't bother leaving a rating if it's not five stars because you know how all this stuff works. But please do give us your word. We really want to get this out to more and more people and um, and to, to, to get your opinion. So email me anything you think that is related to all of this stuff that we talk about on the show. You know, send me... Um, recommendations for things that we should be covering things that you think it's important to get out to the uh, fun-loving uh, uh, badger fans and um, thank you so much for all your support um, so like I said um, do subscribe and and follow us on iTunes because we are slowly beginning to creep out to the wider world um, absolute uh, respect to all of you for um, for, for taking an interest in, in such interesting and, and, and slightly offbeat left field music and you know subjects of discussion. So thanks again for listening and see you next time. Bye, love. Bye.